Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Oh, isn't this interesting? The 144,000, what are they? Jehovah Witnesses? No, they're Jews. Isn't that amazing? I get, according to Hank Hanegraaff, there is no future for the Jews. It just comes to Charles Taze Russell, who just came up with that idea. It's crazy. And then he ran out of, he basically filled up 144,000 by 1919. He didn't have, well, what are, we, what are you going to do with anyone after? And so they said, well, they go to heaven, everyone else gets paradise, and Michael Jackson, I guess, gets paradise too. Because um, he was a JW. I didn't know J- Michael Jackson was a JW, but he was, apparently. Um, I don't know. There, it's just, it's kind of like they're just stuck on that, dude. I can't get them off of it. And Larry, I've taken them down this road. It's so clear. It, it's right over their head every time. It's just like, I'm hard-headed. I'm not going to listen to anything you say or whatever the Bible says. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's bizarre because this is so stinking clear. I don't know how you could mistake this, okay? So now we're in the, the uh, 144,000, Revelation 7, 1 through 8. It says this, After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. Now, the four angels are those who are about to release judgment. And they're told to wait before this judgment because something needs to happen. These individuals need to have something done to them so they don't get hurt by uh, what's about to happen. Uh, with the sealed judgments and trumpet judges, judgments uh, getting ready to happen. And the idea is they're holding the four winds of the earth. The idea is this, that the 144,000 are not only Jews, but they come from all parts of the world, not just Israel. So it could be Jews in America, Jews in Canada, Jews wherever. That's the thing with the Jews. Yes, half of them live in Israel, but the other half, a majority of them live here, but a lot of them are spread out all over the planet. And so this idea that they're holding the four winds of the earth is that they they are coming from all parts of the earth. And this is going to be important because if they're deployed to start witnessing immediately, they already have to be spread out. They can't be clumped up. And so it's a strategic missional uh, thing that God does. And we've talked about the 144,000, most Jews know about four or five languages to begin with. So you don't have to teach them two years when you got to, you go to a seminary. you got to go to seminary, then you got to go two years of foreign language before you go on the field. They're already ready to go on the foreign field because they know the languages wherever they live, typically. And they know Hebrew. Most Jews have a very good understanding of the Old Testament. So it's they already have almost half their seminary done. And especially them knowing Hebrew is a big asset to them. So basically they need to know the New Testament. Sure, they absolutely. And that's that's for the the, the, re, the regathering for the tribulation. So yes, absolutely. But these, wherever they are at, they won't go back home. They'll stay there for some reason. Because when I was in New York, I talked to a lot of Jews and they would make trips to Israel and they say, oh, I love it there. I want to go back. And it, the uh, Aliyah, when they want to come back, this pool. A lot of them have this pool to go back. Apparently, just just from this little passage, these won't have that desire per se 
they will just stay where they're at. So when the time comes, they'll be ready to be on the field, ready to go, uh, already deployed into the mission field, apparently. So God's doing something very special with them. And he goes, um, that no wind shall blow on the earth or no or on the sea or upon the tree. That's judgment. And I saw another angel ascend from the sunrising, having the seal of the living God. Okay, that's the seal basically that's on us as well. But he's going to do something different for them. He's going to do it for service and protection. And he cried with a great voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, until or till we shall have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So it's not only for service, but it is for protection from the, the, the trumpet judgments that are getting ready to happen. And I heard the number of them, they were sealed, a hundred and forty and four thousand sealed out of every tribe of the children of Israel. I don't know how you get any clearer than that. Now, like with a guy like Hank that you just saw, obviously, and if you're in the book of Revelation, the first question I would ask a preterist is, when did the 144,000 get sealed before 70 A.D.? How did that happen? It didn't. And and obviously, it shows that since this is a future aspect, that God is using Israel again. It doesn't use the church. The church is gone by now. It is using the children of Israel. Now, it gives the tribes. There's the the 12 tribes. But as we've talked about, there are actually 13 tribes. Do you notice the tribe that's missing? Dan is missing out of that tribe, uh, out of the 12 tribes. Now, most people wrongly, wrongly conclude, and this is, you have to understand this, they wrongly conclude that since Dan is missing, they'll say, well, Dan got into idolatry. They all got into idolatry. What are you talking about? Um, Dan got into idolatry, and he's not mentioned because the false prophet will come from the tribe of Dan. That is so incorrect. That is that is filling in gaps that are not even there. When you see the 12 tribes listed in, in Scripture, and I think I mentioned this before, there's actually 13 tribes. But to keep symmetry, the biblical writers will always uh, omit one tribe. And they'll pull it out so that you could say 12 tribes. There's actually 13, because what happened to Joseph? Yeah, two. Now, interesting, Joseph is mentioned in this one. It's usually Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh's mentioned, but uh, Ephraim's not mentioned, but Joseph will supplement for Ephraim. It's usually Ephraim and Manasseh. That's what came for uh, two half-tribes from Joseph. But Joseph's mentioned. But anyway, it, Joseph represents Ephraim. But the point about this is there's 13 tribes. Levi is the only one that doesn't get land. Okay, so that point about this is don't wrongly conclude that Dan is going to produce the anti, uh, sorry, not the antichrist, but the false prophet. It's just simply for biblical symmetry. That's all. And in that, you can trace that all through the scriptures. Um, the interesting thing of all the tribes, God knows what Jews are where, where they're from. And he'll pick out 12,000 from each tribe to do this. The interesting thing is the one tribe we do know of and that we can get some ideas because all the records were burned in 70 AD is the tribe of Levi. We now, because of DNA research, can figure out who the Levitical priests are. And interesting enough, in their DNA, it shows that they have a one common ancestor among them. Isn't that amazing? All the way back to Aaron. 
And, and that's important to understand on a humanistic level. Why? Because the temple has to be reinstituted and they will have to have their priesthood again. So right now, like I told you, they're already in Israel preparing their priesthoods for the sacrifice. They're ready to go. They just need the ability to get on that temple mount and have a temple built. And so that's interesting that they, they already know who from the tribe of Levi. So if you see a Jewish person, uh, with a na- the last name Cohen, or Levitz, or Levin, things like that, that's a Levitical priest line. And so you, you even see them in Bakerfield. There's a mattress place, isn't it? Or Levitz or something like that? Or a furniture place? What is it? Is it, you'll love it at Levitz. I remember the jingle, right? It's furniture, right? Okay, that name Levitz, that's Jewish. That, but that means that that man, whoever that Levitz guy is, can trace his origins back to Aaron. Because the, 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 like Zola Levitt, remember he was, and he was alive? Um, Levin's son, or Levi's son, and stuff like that. Levi, Strauss, we're Levi's, okay, Levi, obviously, Levi. Um, anyway, those are the tribes named. I don't know how anyone can get this wrong. But um, there it is. He's going to use the 12 tribes. Now let's look at the results of their their witnessing. Now, again, this is what I want you to picture because of the great results on page 222 on Revelation 7, 9 through 17. The results from these guys is unbelievable. Okay, so imagine these individuals like the Apostle Paul. Okay? If you think about the Apostle Paul, Paul was very educated. He had multiple language skills. He was very versed in the, in the Bible, and he could teach well. And it was just one of him. There was just one. He turned the whole Mediterranean world upside down. Imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls spread out over the planet, what they can do then this is what you see. Here's the results of this. It's chronological order, and it obviously shows you the results. After these things, after the sealing of them, I saw and behold what? A great multitude, which no man could number. There's no Greek word that goes over 10,000, by the way. So this is probably in the millions, okay? Out of every nation, or goyim, and of all tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne... And before the Lamb, arrayed in white robes and palms in their hands. Now, wait a second. This is the result. It's it's a Gentile revival. You notice that? Where? Because where are they from? All the nations, peoples, and tongues. Israel will not have its revival towards until the end of the tribulation. Okay, as a na- as a nation. Now, onesies and twosies might come from it, but the nation itself will not have its revival till the end. But right now, the Gentiles are having this mass, mass uh, revival. They'll have their revival in the first half of the tribulation, but my friends, at the second half of the tribulation, things get a little bit different for the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles then will receive the mark. And those who do, you're lost at that point in time. But that's after the, the midpoint of the tribulation. So, but right now, a lot of the Gentiles, millions and millions are getting saved. But notice where they're at, though. Where are they? Uh-huh, and they're arrayed in white robes. And this is before the midpoint of the tribulation. So what has happened to them? No, the rapture's already happened. What has happened to these this this revival that came from the 144,000? 
They're martyred. They're killed. Look at the location of them. The multitude is in heaven. Rapture's already happened. It indicates that once they get saved, they're martyred. Ah, okay. Now i got to jump to another passage. In Revelation 17 and 18, you have a picture of Babylon. Revelation 17 is obviously the, the religious Babylon. Commercial Babylon is Revelation 18. Revelation 17 also compromises the first half of the tribulation. The whore of Babylon has done what? Let's read it. Revelation 17, I'll read it for you. She is doing this in the first part of the tribulation. Now, that one world religion stuff I showed you, that mindset, that, that we are the extremists and stuff like that, remember? Hmm. And that mindset that we're all one except for these Christians? Um, the woman was arrayed, this is Revelation 17, 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and, and pearls, having her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was an, uh, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, the, and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. She has killed this revival of believers. She's the one killing. Now, the Antichrist is not killing people at this point in time. It is the whore of Babylon. It is the one world religion using, in concert with itself, the one world government to execute any believers of Jesus. Okay? So once you get saved, you're off the grid. You're dead. It's a death sentence. Because I'm telling you right now, this mindset that we are extremists will continue and only get worse and to the point that in the tribulation, if you call yourself a Christian, that is a death sentence for you. And how do they kill you? How does the whore of Babylon kill you? Cut your head off. The means of execution will be beheadings. And so these saints that get saved in the tribulation are from, they've, they've been beheaded and killed, and they're innumerable. Now let's continue to read what happens here. And they arrayed in white robes, palms in their hands, and they, they cry with a great voice, saying, Salvation unto our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around at the throne and, the, about the, and about the elders. Who are the elders? The church. The elders are the church. The 24 elders are the church. I think we went over that uh, last semester. And the four living creatures. Those are the angels that guard the throne. So we're there already. The church is already raptured, so they're coming in. And they fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, look, notice this. And one of the elders, this is the member, a member of the church, answered, saying unto me, These that are arrayed in white robes, who are they? And whence came they? So a, a member of the church is asking, Who are they? Where did they come from? So you can see a distinction here. I want you to see this distinction. These are they that come out of where? The great tribulation. And they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in this temple. And he, and he, sat, he that sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more. Because why? What was happening in the, in the seal judgments? Famine. Remember that? Neither shall thirst anymore because of the famines. Neither shall the sun strike upon them because this, the judgments it gets hotter here. And, nor any heat. For the lamb that is in the midst of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them unto the fountains of the water of life, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eye. That means personally he will do that. So they get saved in the, uh, from the, the witnessing of the, the, uh, the 144,000, and then they're in heaven because they're martyred. Do you see why the 144,000 needs to be sealed? Because if they weren't, that's right. The reason they're sealed is they would end up dead too. So there's masses and masses of martyrdom. And and if God didn't seal his 144,000, they too would be killed. But he's got to have them because he that they are the means of evangelizing the world for the seven-year tribulation. So he puts a protection on them. I don't know what happens, how they escape the horror of Babylon and how they escape the Antichrist, by the way. But they survive the whole deal. And so it's a supernatural enablement, it's a supernatural protection, and you could see why. Now think about the grace behind that. That's the practicality of it. What is the grace behind it? That God is going to have a witness all through the tribulation to any man who wants to be saved. And he's dispersed them all over the planet. And to add to that, he also sends angels spreading the gospel towards the end of the tribulation. Then you have the two witnesses uh, during the first half of the tribulation. So it is God's grace. One last gasp to humanity. Will you please take my offer of salvation before this goes down? The other thing I will note too, uh, and we'll end on this. You see him working with Israel again, right? There, these are the 104,000 of Israel. And you saw that clip from Hank Kennegraff that says Israel basically is no count. There's no, no, no need for Israel anymore. My friends, the issue with Israel is so fundamental, it applies to your salvation. How so? When Paul is writing his magnum opus on salvation, and he gets to Romans 8, and he says, what can, you know, who can separate you from the love of God? And he goes through all this, these things that nothing can separate you, right? And he's making the point that if you get saved, you will not lose your salvation. He promises to glorify you based on his promises made to you. And then, do you know what Paul uses to illustrate how God will make his promises good to you individually? What does he use? Romans 9, 10, and 11. He uses the example of the nation of Israel to show you that God is going to make good on his promise to Israel, and if he can make his promises good to Israel, he can make his promises good to you individually. That's his argumentation, from the greater to the lesser. So, your promises... So here's the point. Back to Hank Hanegraaff. If God doesn't make good on his promises, he can't be trusted. That's the point. And our salvation is based on a promise. 
that if you accept my son, I promise you I will give you salvation. I will glorify you. I will wipe away your sins. I promise you this. But if he, you can't be trusted for the other promises he made, you can't trust him for your promises about salvation. That's Paul's point. And yet Hank has taken out the foundation of why we trust God. And if you can't trust God on Israel, then you can't trust him for your salvation. There's no point in trusting him. Because what would Satan say he is? You're a liar. You can't judge me. So Satan's game is to try to show people or try to make it seem that God has not made good on his promises. That's why when I tell you when Hank speaks, I hear the serpent. I hear it. And you can identify the serpent. My sheep know my voice. Right? He ain't speaking like a shepherd, is he? Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoy this message and would like to hear them, Please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.